This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody. It is the Royal Blue Podcast brought to you by the Liverpool Echo. I'm Ian Crow, and we are live across YouTube and Facebook. Please remember to like, follow and subscribe to our Facebook page and YouTube channel. And also please send in your questions. Um, just to warn everyone, disclaimer, I have got a bit of a cold, so uh, I am powering through and I hopefully will get through today's show. Joining me on today's show, we have the Everton FC correspondent holding away, Joe Thomas. Joe, how's the mood? You warned me that you might sneeze, not that you might drop too many, like, <laughs> no. sounded pretty new worrying there. No, I, I feel fine. I've got no aches and pains. I've just got a bit of a head cold. Right. But, you know, forget about me. More importantly, we're here to talk about Everton. Of course. Well, yeah, Joe, you know, we're, we're obviously going to get into it. We're going to deep dive, going to break down the match. Um, we were both there on Saturday, but, you know, it's... You know, it was a bit of a debacle, wasn't it? Just how you feeling at this moment in time after, you know, Saturday's defeat and cup exit? It was a bad performance, wasn't it? It was a bad performance, and I think that it was a bad performance at a bad time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it was a really frustrating one. I think Everton at the minute, I think there are there are more reasons to be positive than the perhaps immediately obvious, but it does feel like it's we're back to a situation where it's a club that's in search of a bit of momentum, and. It felt like Saturday was an easy opportunity. Easy is the wrong word, but it felt like Saturday was an opportunity to to build that. You know, they they hadn't had a bad month. You know, for, essentially, if you look at the Palace games and the Villa game, it was three unbeaten, three clean sheets in a row. Come up against the Luton side that Everton have seen in action already this season. They know their strengths. Um, at home against Goodison Park, fourth round of of, of the cup. You know. Just I know that they're injury depleted, but I just hope to see more. I thought that it was a game that Everton would win. I thought it was a game that Everton should win, and I don't think that was being complacent. I just think that that, that I would have liked to have imagined that they would have been better. In the end, they didn't deserve to win, and obviously they didn't win. And it's one of those ones where I think there was an element to it which is probably a bit of a free hit, and, and I wonder if Deitch considered it a little bit that way. Um through his tactical changes and part of me wonders if you know he kind of in the context of the wider season bearing in mind that we know Premier League survival is first and foremost if he saw this game as the last opportunity for him to just have a look at something a little bit different last opportunity for him to experiment where the consequences weren't as severe if they went wrong and obviously he went with Beto and Calvert-Lewin it really clearly didn't work in fairness to Deitch asked him about him afterwards and he seemed to accept that it didn't work so hopefully there's no naivety there but when you look at where he is at the minute and how important we know Decore is to decide and obviously we know what Decore is injury wise at the moment it's not you know he's obviously not available he's not going to be available for Fulham and quite possibly not for, for Tottenham Maybe there was part of him which thought this is my last opportunity to just try something truly different to see if I can overcome the hurdle is, that is trying to get Evan to be able to attack without Abdullah Decore. It didn't work. He learned a lesson, so that might be valuable. But I think in the short term, it's come at the expense of a bit of momentum. Because I think that, yeah, looking at the Everton fan base, or a lot of the Everton fan base, speaking to people, looking on social media listening to you know, some of the fan podcasts, a very good fan podcast as well. 
it feels like there's been a little bit of a deflation. Um, and as a result of that, I kind of wonder if Luton was a missed opportunity just to try and get things into a little better place ahead of what's actually a really big week for the club. Well, we've just been talking about it, haven't we? Just before we, you know, we, we went on air and started recording, you know, momentum. You've just touched on it there. We had all the momentum, you know, going for us, you know, prior to probably the, the, the Fulham defeat. Um, it is it is so fragile. We we kind of stopped the rot a little bit with, you know, the, the draw against Palace in the Cup and then we obviously, the replay, we ended up winning that. Got a decent draw against Villa at home. Um, but regardless of... You know, Dice's tactics or his formation. You know, the those players on that that pitch, they surely should be good enough to beat a Luton team. And no dis no disrespect to Luton because they they're the only ones down there in the relegation zone, seemingly putting up a fight. But the table it, at the moment is kind of lying, isn't it? Because we shouldn't be where we are. We should be a little bit higher. Luton, you know, effectively are rivals, and they've just got another one over us again. It's just so frustrating to go out the cup. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with all of that in the sense that Luton have grown into the season and got stronger. And I think that they're a very well-drilled side. And the reality is Luton are probably now are what Everton were back in the November, beginning of December, in the sense that they have an identity. They know what they are. They know who they are. They know their strengths. They know how to... They know the way in which they're going to win games. Uh, is that not what Everton's strengths are when we were, you know, four four wins in a row, though? That's, yeah, that's, yeah. It. that's exactly, which is exactly what Everton were then. Yeah. The problem is since that Fulham defeat and the injuries that have happened since and the loss of momentum, and obviously the points deduction skews it as well because of you know, what it makes you, you, you're filled with fear when you look at the table when really it should be a side that's sitting, you know, 12th, 11 points clear from the bottom. Um, and with the injuries and with everything else, obviously Deitch now has to try and find a new identity for that group of players without without um, Abdullah Dukhore. Uh And he's struggling to do so, so far. And Does I, it literally just rest on and Abdullah Dukhore not being in the starting 11? Partly. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a big part of it. Look, we know that Everton have got a squad of probably, what, no more than 14, 15 senior players that, that Sean Deitch trusts. And... You know, it probably was, you know, Decore is probably there with Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Jordan Pickford. It's the, the, they're the three main players that Everton would really struggle to do without. Now, Calvert-Lewin's importance is still very significant, but the fact that in the summer they haven't finally got themselves in a situation where they signed someone that could at least attempt to do the same job as him or a similar job with him in Beto means that there are ways of that Everton side functioning effectively without Dominic Calvert-Lewin in it. There isn't really, it doesn't seem to be a way of, of doing so about Abdullah Decore, particularly when Andre Gomez, who emerged as potential cover um, over the over Christmas, is also out injured. And when you throw in the fact that obviously Adrissa Gay is unavailable as, as, as well. Um, but I, you know, talk about players should be good enough to kind of come through the tactics. I, I'm not sure they can because I think the tactics were very, very blunt and very obvious hmm. on Saturday. I think if the players have been played to, told to play that way, yeah, there was a moment in that first half when Shao Virginia claimed the ball, played very well again, Shao Virginia, claimed the ball in his own box and he ran to the edge of his box and Jack Harrison was a couple of yards in front of him and it looked for all the world as if he was about to lay it off and Jack Harrison had so much space to run into and you thought, right, he's going to go and we're going to surge forward. 
and it was almost like in the back of his mind just as he was about to release the ball something went in jail virginia just went I know I've been told not to do this. And instead, he, he launched a long ball forward towards Calvert-Lewin and Beto, which is what they did throughout the fold first half and a lot of the game. And they just sailed harmlessly over everyone's heads. So I think that clearly there was a tactical approach that had been set up there. And I'm not sure that the players can necessarily overcome that you know, if, if they've been told to play that way. Particularly, it becomes even harder when and this is one of the things that kind of baffles me a little bit about Saturday is of all the teams in the Premier League that you're going to use that style of play against losing. Long ball Probably approach. the worst. <laughs> you know, they've got some big centre-backs that are used to that type of, yeah. of football. And I'm not going to say they dealt with it comfortably. It was chaotic in the first half. Everyone <laughs> got into situations where they could have created good chances. Didn't quite come off, but... There were a few times when second balls were just bouncing all over the place, kind of, you know, 35, 40 yards from Luton's goal. And if there was someone to cut, pick up on them from an Everton perspective, there were options to play out wide or through. They just didn't happen. Um, so yeah, there, there were but there were some opportunities, but largely it's it's if you offer that Luton side away, if the opposition playing against you, it would be that. And again, who's the best person to be able to run it onto the ball? Who normally fills that space from there? It will be with different tactics. Yeah, when the second ball is there to be one four yards from someone else's goal, it's normally to Corey Bird yeah. forward, isn't it? Well, we just you know just thought we you you hit the nail on the head because it's exactly what we said after the game. We made it far too easy for them, and Luton are the you know, the last team you want to be hitting long balls up to. Like I said, I don't think it was it was easy for them, but, you know, we didn't attempt to, to get the ball in behind. We didn't even attempt to get the ball down the channels. We didn't even attempt to, to get many crosses in. It was literally just a, you know, we've got two big strikers up the pitch who quite clearly, I don't want to suggest that can play together, but they struggle to play together. So in, in that sense now then, has, you know, before the game, it was kind of like four four two two strikes up front. Let's see how this goes. You you suggested it was my kind of a, an experimental lineup. Have we got a, a striker problem now? Because we seemingly play better with the one striker up front, but we've got two strikers there who are going to be expecting to play virtually every game. We know Carvalhoon's probably better at holding the ball up. Nothing really sticks when Beto, you know, gets the ball into his feet. His, his first touch is really poor. You know. And he seemingly just gets really frustrated when when he comes on the pitch and Carbert Lewin is just going through a, a really, you know, woody and goal drought as well at this moment yeah, in time. Yeah, I think it's a striker problem, but I do think obviously that Carbert Lewin's got a goal drought and that's, that is an issue. Um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, where Evan had their most success on Saturday was the odd, oppor- the odd opportunity when they got the ball down out wide. You know, we saw... Calvert-Lewin, you know, surge past a few players on the left in the first half, cut inside and there was an obvious ball to Harrison who was in so much space in the middle, he didn't take it. And I had a little bit of sympathy for him because I'm not sure if he ever thought it was quite on, if he could ever get it past it because he had, had two men on him. And in the end, he held it up and played him better on the edge of the area and better put it just wide. That was a nice move that caused Luton problem. The other one was the the big switch from Tarkovsky to, to Mikalenko and again got the ball down out wide, whipped the cross in. It was Dwight Manil who headed it straight at Tim Krull. Again, one of the better aspects of of, of, of play came from the few times that they diverted away from what felt like the obvious, you know, the very aggressively direct tactics yeah. that they've been set up to yeah. play, which is bypass the whole midfield and 
you know, was 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 problematic. I think I don't think be- I don't think there's any expectation to be starting games from Beto ahead of Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I think he's probably well aware of where he is in the pecking order. I think there, there where there might be a little bit of expectation is is in at some point Beto is going to say, well, I think we're up to about 15 games now where Calvert-Lewin hasn't scored. So at some point he's going to say, well, when do I get my chance to start again? Um, obviously the last time he did so was Forest away when he didn't do bad. He missed a big chance early doors, but again. What he did was what Everton have lacked for two years, where he enabled Everton to carry on playing in the same way that they would play without Dominic Calvert, with Dominic Calvert Lewin, um, even with Dominic Calvert Lewin absent. So it was it was positive. Um, they, it's it still comes back to the Decore problem. How do you deal about Decore? Because I don't think that. I mean, I'd be shocked to see two. Up, I'd be shocked to see those two up front again. Like I, I do wonder if Arnaud Danjuma off one of those big men could work um it would be have to be a different approach it wouldn't be a direct you know long ball but him playing as a support striker could could work but that probably requires Deitch to do something that doesn't look like he's particularly keen to do because you know the situation with Dan Juma is confusing because I don't really understand how he hasn't started over the last two games I mean, it's, you know, it's, I don't want to go into too much on that because it's not really football talk, but it's obviously running and running. But what about Dobbin? You know, you, I think it's been in the back of people's minds about if we're going to go two up top again, it would be, a, you know, a, a main striker and a second striker. Yeah. Obviously, you mentioned Dan Juma, but would Dobbin be able to fit in that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a school of thought. I mean, we, we typically see Dobbin off the wing yeah, when he's yeah. played. When he's come on for Everton, that's where he's played. And, and when he's typically been used in the other 21s that's where he's been played but yeah there there are people within the Evans setup and there are people that have tracked Dobbin's career that think he's far better as a forward okay um but I, again you know I I don't think you're in a scenario where it makes sense to start him over Dan Juma given the fact that Dan Juma is whether it be coming in from the left or whether it be as a support striker is you know had a relatively successful senior career where he's played some of the top leagues and he's scored the goals that have taken Villarreal to the last stages of, of of the Champions League. I mean, there's a there's an asset there that's not being used. Um, and I think it was completely understandable that he wasn't getting minutes before Christmas because look at the form Evan were in, look at the form that Dwight McNeil and, J- and Jack Harrison were in. Um, but this month, when injuries are, are, are bitten and when there have been games which, you know, the cup games have perhaps have a little bit less riding on them, um, it felt like, considering Dan Juma is desperate for minutes and there are clearly opportunities for him to get those minutes elsewhere, albeit, you know, Evan would have to release him from his contra- his loan contract for that to happen. It just seems a strange situation to be both keeping him but not playing him and not playing him at a time when the side could do with some attacking quality and is looking to plug holes due to injuries and looking for something slightly different. Yeah. And I think it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens against Fulham because having, with a better and Calvert-Lewin experiment, having failed as, as dramatically, as, it, as emphatically as it did, then, you know, one alternative, the obvious alternative on, on uh, for Fulham on, on Tuesday is to go back to one up top and probably to either play, you know, Jack Harrison move him behind him and that has had a little bit of success this season and then Dan Juma comes out on the wing or for you know Harrison to stay on the wing and Dan Juma to play up by the better or Calvert-Lewin he's got we'll come on to team selection but you know just on that I think you are right he's got 
very limited choice in what he wants to do. There's no way he can play two up top again. And I do think it's obviously, it's, it's, it is about bringing one of them wide players, obviously injury pending. You'll be come on to injuries and he's going to be available uh, soon enough. But it could be a, a case of bringing one of those wide players into the middle of the park. Just a reminder, everyone watching live, YouTube, Facebook, get your questions in, get your opinions in. Joe, there's one from YouTube, YouTube channel called The Blues. He says... We attempted to get in behind and down the side so many times. Mengi mopped up everything in behind and McNeil and Harrison couldn't beat their man. You agree? Did we try to get in behind? I didn't really think we tried to get in behind that much. No. We tried to go over the top a lot and try and win the first ball or at least create a messy second ball. But what happened was because everything was going so say so aggressively direct, you just ended up in a situation where Better and Calvert-Lewin were just so isolated from anybody else that there wasn't anyone else there to win the second ball. Uh, and yeah, you're right, Harrison and McNeil kind of got completely cut out of that system. And you wonder, if was that their, was that, was it tactics or was it their kind of struggle to interpret them? Dyke said after the game that this is a side that a group of players isn't used to playing 4-4-2 and he's got a point. That was abundantly clear the other day. Um, and obviously where two strikers can work together, I mean, they're two strikers of a similar profile, aren't they? So yeah. that's problematic. But also what's clearly an issue is the fact that they haven't played that much together in, in that in that format. The only other time they've done it was in when they were chasing an equaliser against losing in the league, and that failed miserably then. Um, but we saw it again at the, the, the weekend, you know, times when they're going for the same ball. And that's you know if your if your game plan is to win a knockdown for someone else, but both players are going for the ball, then well you know it's 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 just a mess. Like I think like kind of said the, the the times when they did have a little bit of success with it, and they got a little bit in behind when you know say Mikalenko got beyond this fullback and whipped across it, and Manil had a good chance. Um, there wasn't enough of that. There wasn't enough ingenuity, and I think there's I think there's a I think it's legitimate to be frustrated with the wide players. Um, for their performances, but I'm not sure where the responsibility on that lies. Um, and then, yeah, because like I say, they spend the whole game bypassing midfield. You look at Onana and, and, and Ghana, like, you know, game, a game that you would hope that they'd be able to kind of dictate. Well, they were just bypass, weren't they? Non existent. Well, what, what, what chance do they have if, you know, most of the time the ball's going over their head? There's only so much they can do, isn't there? Safe to say that uh, the partnership wasn't complementing each other. I mean, is this is this a case of this, you know, partnership is never tried again, or just is there anything that you saw in there that you think, yeah, there is something, it, it but it needs a bit of work, and we it can try it. Does create chaos, it, like it does create chaos. As I say, there were times in the first half at at nil nil where Everton got into positions where they could have created good chances but didn't. A few times, better or Calvert Lewin. Um, got the ball and then didn't really make the most of it, or they created enough they created enough chaos to have a ball bounce around the space halfway inside the Luton area, but because they were so isolated, there's no one around them to pick it up. So you know, you know, it wasn't a. I mean, it it was bad. Like it wasn't great. I'd be very surprised to see it again. Uh, and I think Deitch's comments after the game suggest it would be a surprise to see it again because he seemed to be happy to acknowledge that. It didn't work. I don't think it could work if you. I don't think you'd see it again with complete the same tactics. Um, yeah, you know, like they would say, it was just so aggressively over the top to them that um, yeah, that can't that can't work again. I don't think. But I think that again, 
it's easy to be very critical and to go here and go, what was he thinking or things like this. And I don't really have an issue with him trying it. I didn't think it would work because we'd, we'd seen it previously. But when you look, I mean, there are a couple of things we probably need to take into account. One is the fact that he's experimented out of necessity because he's just got a very, very small squad that is now, you know, depleted by injuries and the, the Africa Cup of Nations um, absence of, of Idrissa Gay. So there's only so many things that he can do. Um, and as frustrating as it was to be knocked out of the cup, Luton was perhaps one last opportunity to experiment without the pressure of the league there to maybe just try and find a solution. And I think another thing as well is that um, a lot there has been a significant number of fans suggesting that Beto and DCL should start up top together. You know, when I go to Finch Farm normally every Thursday and I put out me, we could see if anybody wants me to ask any questions every week without fail, I get asked when that's going to happen. Now, Deitch should not be selecting his side or anything like that to try and prove a point to you know, to come you know, to, to either to either give the fans what they want if he doesn't believe it's going to be the case or to try and make a point. But you know, I I think that one thing that will come out of Saturday is I'd be surprised if I get too many of those questions again. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, the questions keep coming in, the opinions keep coming in, and we've got another one who kind of disagrees with us, Joe. So, David Atherton on YouTube has said, disagree that tactics were a fault. If you can't pass a ball, defend the set piece, or win any second balls, it doesn't matter what formation you play. So, you know, thanks for the question or the, the opinion, yeah, David. I mean, they didn't win the second balls because there's no one there to compete for them because the two strikers were competing for the same ball and then they were so isolated from everyone else. I think... Obviously, you know, the passing wasn't great, but it was clear that there was an emphasis on not playing short football and not playing passes around the midfield and defence. It was get it up as quickly, as as effectively as possible. Um, so I think tactics were an issue. He's definitely right on corners. Look, you know, I mean, I don't know if we'll, we'll come to this, but you, David, you're 100% true on, on that. Look, Everton lost at home to Fulham a couple of months ago, as I alluded to a couple of months ago, and both goals came from set pieces. Yeah. Both goals came from Alfie Doughty's left foot. And, you know, it, it's clear what Fulham's tactics are. There. It's clear how dangerous they are. And Deitch kind of, after the game, dismissed it as being a bit unlucky. You know, they got two goals from set pieces. That's what they did. But the reality was they caused problems from set pieces throughout the game. Um, it was almost an error, in inevitability. Yeah, there was. From that exactly. Before. You know, there was the one right at the beginning of the second half when Carlton Morris wanted to force a really good save out of out of Virginia. And, um, yeah, that's clearly one of the, the biggest attributes that that, you know, one of the biggest strengths of Luton side they played to it and never fell into the trap. And it's a bit frustrating that they couldn't work out how... I mean, Luton are very, very good at those set pieces. You know, they have... Some wonderful set. Well, certainly in Alfie Doughty, they have a, a wonderful set piece take, and there's some big lads that are very good in the air. You know, sometimes there's only so much you can do against a side as powerful as that. But Evan have some big lads as well, and you just think, bearing in mind you knew that would be the big threat, it's a bit frustrating that there wasn't any obvious attempt to kind of mitigate it. Yeah. And they couldn't do so within the game either. And, and that frustrated me in the game against um, Luton the first time round. You know, Tom Lockyer had a, a head of the. I think it was either Tom Lockyer or Carlton Morris 
at nil nil had a header from a corner or a, a free kick in that game which was a, a you know powerful header he won it easily big let off for everton and then the next set piece went to the back post and someone was unmarked and the next set piece and it's and you just one one thing that i think is a legitimate concern both on the pitch and in the dugout is there seems to be a lack of adaptability to the situation as a game unfolds yeah. learning from what is happening and i think this is you know, perhaps where david may have a point on this like you, or maybe you when you asked the question earlier at some point you would like to think that there's a bit of an onus on the players to take some responsibility and accountability for when things aren't working but obviously when the tactics were as as much as they weren't working it was clear that they'd been told to play a certain way you know you know, probably how much influence they have in overriding that system is a, a, a difficult one to try and work out, really. Okay, then. So we'll just break down a little bit of the game. Um, the first goal was it? Was it a foul on Carvalhoon push? I'm gonna just. I'm gonna. My. I don't think it was. Although at the time I kind of probably was screaming for yeah, it. <laughs> and like, um, you know, there's contact made, isn't there? It's the type of thing which you, you feel at the minute that. I think it's fifty-fifty. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not kind of coming. I'm not coming away from that game thinking VAR has cost Everton again. Yeah. What I am thinking though is that if Everton score that goal against Fulham tomorrow night, I think it probably gets disallowed. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> so like I think that's probably where I am on that. I mean. I just think he probably could be stronger, Carver Lewin. Even Deitch said he could have been stronger after. If Deitch is saying, I mean, obviously we know, if Deitch is kind of like casting aspersions on his own player in, in, in that scenario, that probably suggests that even he doesn't feel as strong about as he as he does about some of the others. Yeah. Okay, we get ourselves back in the game, probably from, from a goal that we didn't even deserve. But it comes from a Jack Harrison goal, um, and it's in a position of central you know, central position and we've just been talking about do we move a, a winger, you know, mm. a wide play in the in the you know, centre of the park. So obviously definitely one for Dice to think about, you know, injuries pendant. Yeah, well I'm surprised he didn't do it the other day. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it this month, to be honest. Um yeah, you know, I think that I don't think Jack Harrison is, is the perfect solution. No. Um when when the core is out, but I think he's he's comfortably the best one that we've seen. I thought Harrison, you know, he, he played that role against Newcastle when they won 3-0, and I thought he did all right. He played a few nice through balls to, to Dominic Calvert-Lew, and he played it in, I think he played it in the, the uh, Palace in the in the, in the the third round, the first game, you know, down at Salas Park, and Danjuma was out wide, and again, he played a few, he slipped in Danjuma with a, a nice ball or two in in that game as well. I, so I think the, yeah, I, I, bearing in mind that I don't think he fancies Danjuma in that role, for me, the obvious way to go against Fulham with the injuries and the absences that, that Everton have is is Harrison back in that kind of number 10 role um, and playing Dan Juma out on, on out wide. That feels like the best of the solutions that we have available, especially with Gomez injured. And, you know, not entirely sure how sustainable a solution Gomez would be and even then where best to play him in that midfield. But obviously... He was very, very good when he came on against Spurs. Um, yeah. yeah, back on December the twenty third, he was he was excellent, and then, you know, he kind of had good moments and bad moments in the games after that. But obviously, he scored the big goal against Palace as well. Yeah, I think it's easy to kind of be critical on tactics and say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I guess one thing 
two things we know is one you know Deitch is changing things out of necessity because he's got a limited squad which isn't his fault and he's got a lot of injuries which you know happens but isn't necessarily his fault so I mean you know that's you know that that obviously has a as a, a huge has a huge huge impact but yeah it just he can't go the same way again. Um, and sorry, this is the second point I was going to say is he obviously learned. He at least, at least, at least, he come out and God, I'm having to like work hard to grab any positives from Luton. But at least they came away there having learned something, and that is surely they put to bed better and and Calvert-Lewin at least with those tactics. Yeah, I will. You know, couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. I mean, I think with Gomez, I'm a, I'm a pains to to put too much emphasis and pressure because we all know he's a quality player, but he's probably, if anything, he just lacks consistency. That's that's his well, that's, being his career. Yeah, fitness as well, yeah. and that's it. Like he, you know, and that's 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 the danger. I think that you know, ever they're in danger of. Everton only have a plan A, uh, and that plan A, Abdullah Decore is key to it, and that's Abdullah Decore. Like you know, been brilliant last year, thirty-one years old, and done both hamstrings the last six weeks. That's 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 a concern. Bearing in mind the drop off when he comes out of that side is concerned. Gomez was an opportunity to maybe offer a little bit of mitigation from that, even if it means bringing Decore off for the last fifteen minutes of games just to kind of, you know. Gomez at least offered an opportunity to do something, or suggested he might offer an opportunity to do that. Um, that opportunity is now gone, and again, you can't be too reliant on his fitness. Yeah, you know, big question mark just over Dan Juma because again, the next obvious place to go is Harrison, and that for that to work, really need Dan Juma to be available to play out on the wing, um, and that's why everyone could do with keeping him. I I personally think, and that's why I've been surprised that he has had more minutes this month. The third goal then, you know, obviously absolute chaos, final minutes of the game and, you know, Luton, you know, it's kind of a, you know, just legs flailing everywhere and then the ball goes in the back of the net. We've obviously got to do better defending it. You know, I'm not slagging Virginia off or anything like that. I actually called for them to start the game against Luton. So, but could could they have done better, you know, to, to get sure that ball? Much. Yeah, they're a, I think... Yeah, they're a big physical side. I thought Virginia played well. Yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. made a couple of good saves. Um, the reality was Evan just couldn't deal with, with, with their men in the box and the quality of the balls coming into him and it was frustrating um, yeah, they shouldn't have been in a situation where they're conceding the corner that late in the first place yeah, hopefully you'd like to think they'd have been a bit cuter I think there's probably an element of it with both sides where neither really wanted a replay <laughs> now, I don't think that meant any I don't think under any circumstances does that mean that either, side, either of those sides wanted to lose but Perhaps there was a little bit more kind of carelessness in, or, or adventure in the game in the final stage just because of that. Okay, so Gareth Jones has just submitted an opinion on YouTube and it kind of come it kind of connects to me. My next question, really. So he says, Luton made five substitutions on Saturday. Agree, we don't have much squad depth, but just feel the same players are being flogged. Dobbin and Danjuma surely could have come on earlier. I mean, there's no question that it's obviously an opinion, but I think. I com- I completely agree to an extent, you know, Adaisha's substitutions, too like for like. Well, he, he doesn't make them. So, so <laughs> when even, he does make even, them, even, <laughs> even, in the, even in the first, even in the first place, you know, it was it was very notable that you know Luton had made five subs before Everton made yeah. one. Um, I think it's a shame because I think twelve months ago we were all promoting the fact that 
sides were able to change the game going into the last 20 minutes by the subs that they could make that Everton couldn't make. And that was one thing when you were watching, say, the likes of Villa do it or the likes of even even the likes of Forest do it for the final bit game, uh, 20, 15 minutes at the city ground um, last season because obviously they spent so much money. One thing they do have is a massive squad. But when we get to a point now where Luton, who have come up from the championship and barely spent a penny, uh, make it all five and and some of those but yeah one of them scored the winner so those, those players some of those players are having an influence uh yeah there wasn't a significant drop off that Evan were able to take advantage of was a it's a concern i think that's um i completely agree with gareth on that you know i i think that there's an there's an inevitability around the tiredness of the players um because so many so few players are having to play so many games i, I do wonder if some of that could be mitigated a little bit by players coming off the last 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Now, Dykes doesn't have a lot of options, of course, he doesn't. But again, this is where you'd think that, you know, turning to Dan Juma and or Dobbin for the last 15, 20 minutes of games might mean that Harrison and, and McNeil, you know, are, 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 are fresher going into this period. And, you yeah, know, that's a, a, a frustration I think a lot of Everton fans have, and I can understand why. But there's never really any real thought that goes into it. It is literally just like, like that striker's not playing well, that striker hasn't scored, I'm going to put another striker on. There's never any real, you know, I'm not asking for a major tactical change when you're 0-0 or 1-0 down, but, you know, could a Dan Juma coming on with a Dobbin, you know, instead of just a Shemetti for a, a Carver-Lewin? I mean, I actually thought Beto started to play a lot better when Carver-Lewin went off. I don't know if that has got anything to do with Carver-Lewin going off or whether there was actually a, a change in, you know, tactics or perception of the way we were playing because Shemetti was kind of still the, the second striker, you know, the, the second forward up there, wasn't he? Yeah, well, I don't think, you know, as I said a minute ago, I think Everton only really had one way of playing, so yeah. one way of effectively playing. So I don't think that he, and I don't think he really has the, the resources there to be, changing tactics too dramatically in games no, no, that's when he's set up in his normal way you know with one up top obviously he could have done that at, uh, at the weekend um the like for light replacements i don't necessarily have an issue with with so much i think back to to brentford you know better comes off after a good game dominic calvaloon comes on scores a goal that starts his, his goal scoring run you look at um other changes to be made obviously better came on and scored his goal against newcastle uh, Dobbin came on and scored his goal against Chelsea. You know, there, there there was a period in and around Christmas when squad players were coming on and doing really well. And I think part of the reason for their success was they knew the role that they were coming into when they were going onto the pitch. Um, I think that it, it, the reality is he's, he has so few options that I don't know how much he can change the tactics. But I do think he... Yeah, it it is a big goal in there when you when you're looking there and you can see Everton need a spark and you can see Luton are trying to do that and I think there is a stubbornness there perhaps that I think that I don't think you can see the game as a ninety minute game for eleven players or twelve or thirteen players anymore. I think that yeah, I, I think that you have to kind of view the modern Premier League game now as almost um and it's least as as low as two two separate games. You know, the first 60, 70 minutes, and the next twenty when most sides bring two or three players on, uh, and to some ex you know some extremes almost three games, and you know the final ten minutes with all the added on time, and teams bring two more players on, and it's interesting. Dice is the only manager. I mean, I haven't looked at the sub the, the statistics on this, but Dice seems to be the only manager I think is holding firm on almost trying to approach the game as if it hasn't changed in relation to substitutes and the amount of time that you get added on. And, and, and that's an interesting tactic. And look, you know, 
it was fine when Everton were winning all those games. You know, and and I think and I think that it's really really important right now to just go take a step back because it's very easy to be negative about all this. And obviously, it was very yeah. bad on Saturday, and we're all worried about where Everton are in the league. But I think that it's only fair to to take a step back when you try and judge Deitch and we talk about these little things. You've got to look at the big thing, the big picture. And the big picture is that he's taken a side that's been in two consecutive relegation battles, hardly spent a penny. Um, and it's just cut costs everywhere. So it's an absolute threadbare squad. And whatever his approach to tactics are, whatever his approach to team selection is, whatever his approach to substitutions is, this is a side that should be 12, 11 points clear of trouble. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is a phenomenal achievement. And really... You know, we're, we're, you know, here we are nitpicking at little bits of, of frustrations. Now, all those are amplified because of the deduction. And it's right that they're amplified because of the deduction, because it means that Everton can't be naive to what the second half of the season could look like, particularly if injuries continue to bite, if they can't recreate some of that form going forward. But, but I really do think, you know, the context, the backdrop to all these conversations has to be, yeah, all right, we're questioning elements of what Deitch is doing but against the backdrop of those whilst we're asking those little questions the bigger picture is really for all intents and purposes he's he's done a, a very very good job and he has every right to feel vindicated by the collection of all his decisions this season so far because they should be 11 points clear it's not his fault they got a 10 point deduction he might have to adapt going forward because he's got to deal with that but the hard work of the had largely already been done this season on the pitch and there's only so much that he can do no i mean you're right it is it is all about expectation and expectation has risen you know from them four wins in a row in the you know the back end of last season i'm just this is no disrespect to Luton because they, you know, they deserved everything that they got from Goodison Park on the two occasions this season i'm just disappointed that we've been knocked out by Luton. We should be getting knocked out by City in the next round, and then at least then you could say, well, it was Manchester City. Do you know what I mean? But um, we'll put it to bed because you know it is a negative, and I don't we don't want to dwell too much on the negatives. But it's about survival, um, and obviously that's going to continue tomorrow night or Tuesday night with a tough game against Fulham, another bogey team for us, Joe. Yeah, Deitch's crypt tonight. Really, three times they won at Goodison Park in twenty twenty three. All against Deitch, they just always seem to find a way. And, well, and then the frustrating thing is, I think, well, certainly in the, the 3-1 game, uh, the back end is or spring of last year, and I think in the Carabao Cup game, they look comfortably better than Everton. The first game of the season, Everton should have won that, really. Yeah. You know, I mean, some, well. of, some of those chances that it should have been a couple of goals up at half-time, really, so... Um, I mean, Fulham have played a lot of games. Obviously, they've had the Carabao Cup semi-finals with 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 Liverpool. Um, but yeah, they are absolutely a bogey side. It's a it's a, a tricky game for as we've seen. It's a tricky game for a full strength Everton side. And this is an Everton side that goes down to Craven Cottage without Gomez, without Decore, without Coleman, without Young. Obviously, not all of these players would be playing, but we're starting without um, Idrissa Gay and. You know, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin on a really difficult run of form, so... Well, we need something now, don't we? We really need at least a point because we've got Spurs and then City next. Well, Spurs and City, it's, it's you know, again, this is, I think, why I can understand why there's a bit of deflation and concern in, in, in the mood and the atmosphere mm. at the minute because, you know, whilst Deitch needs to be judged from the bigger picture... And the bigger picture is that he's created a side out of nothing that should be mid-table in the Premier League. 
you're going to take a step out and look at evidence a bigger picture and go, well, for all that being said, they're one point clear of trouble with a whole host of injuries. Hardly anyone left in the, you know, a Fredbear squad. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously a fight against one deduction underway um, and we'll see where that takes us. But the threat of another deduction underway and then there's all the instability and uncertainty around the takeover as well. So it is a very precarious position Evan find themselves in. And against that backdrop, this week really does feel very important in terms of what happens in the final stage of the transfer window. And you know, for all intents and purposes, it suggests it's going to be quiet. But I'd be interested to see if somebody was to put a cheeky bid in for a someone's to put a cheeky bid in for an Everton player that Everton that is, that is significant to the team. It would be interesting to see how much resolve and how much resilience the club has to. From from a financial perspective, if something like that happens, obviously the knock-on impact could be huge. Um, and then also, you're right, there's this Fulham game, there's a Spurs game, there's a City game that come up. And look, this Everton side has shown it's more than capable of taking points off pretty much you know, anybody under Sean Dyche. And you know, we shouldn't be that surprised, be surprised if it went and got a point at Spurs and then, if it got a point at Fulham and then beat Spurs. But there's also a scenario where an injury hit side that's low momentum loses to three teams that are better than it so far this season. And all of a sudden, in 10 days, we're looking at things and Everton are back in the relegation zone. Things could look worse before they have a chance to get better. And I think that it's frustrating that having come out of one difficult period and built all that momentum up in the first half of the season to a point where Evan should be, you know, had the points to be sitting in mid-table, they now have to find the willpower and the strength to do it again. And that's the hard thing. You're digging down into the same reserves, not just of the players and the manager, to be fair, but also from the fans, just to go through it again. And like you just wonder how many times they can return to that well. And hopefully it is another time. And hopefully the hopefully the, the quality and the strength and the organisation and the resilience and the determination that Deitch was able to draw from these players in the autumn and early winter of that, of, of near the winter of this season he can get that going again um but it might be you know it, it's going to be tough for us all i think the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo deep breast monkey on youtube has said dice will have to start resting players or be forced to play them injured i don't even think we've got the opportunity to rest no. players. well i mean this is it he, and, he, and he was he was he was saying this we were asking about him after the um, after the uh, losing game. He asked about what players, and he's not expecting to have any players back. He was basically saying, look, Ashley Young is on the bench against Luton, but you want him really ready. Probably needed another week. And he's saying he's have to make some of these judgment calls, and, and now it's, uh, I can't risk playing a player who's 75% because I can't risk losing him for a longer period of time, bearing in mind the other injuries that, that, that he's got. Mm. I think we can all see that. Look, the, the squad is weak in, in, a, in a number of positions. You know, it has a little bit of cover in some positions. Obviously, I think that we are all a lot more confident over Jao Virginia's ability to you know to, to cover Jordan Pickford than, than we were at the beginning of January. That's yeah. been a major positive for Everton this January. He's played three games and played very well in all three. Um, centre back, I think yeah they could cover a loss to a certain extent. You know, for Godfrey and Michael Keane, yeah, I know people would assume there'd be a drop off there, but there are still experienced Premier League players there that potentially do a job. But you look elsewhere on across the um, across the pitch, and that, that experience doesn't really exist. Obviously, you got better in Calvert Lewin that can rotate up top. Um, 
but beyond that, you know, it, it's it's difficult, or at least it's difficult while they had the injuries and 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 Idris away, and for all those reasons, I keep keep coming back to this. It feels like Dan Juma is a key component of making sure that squad can still function for the next few months. And with you know, the fact that there is opportunity from elsewhere, it feels like Evan could gain a lot by just making him feel a little bit more wanted. And they've had opportunities to do that over the past few weeks and they haven't taken them. And that surprises me because he is the obvious alternative for a lot of these things. To turn things around and get momentum back on yeah, our side. Yeah, I'd say to do that, but just to just just to be able to carry on functioning, just to be able to keep things going, you know, that's it. If we want to, you know, Jack Harrison is the obvious, moving infield is, is the obvious solution to DeCorey going in, going, um, DeCorey being out. And what only really works if you've got someone that can cover Jack Harrison out wide and, yeah, that probably what needs to be Dan Juma. I mean, we'll come on to starting the lineups, but what about a Godfrey in the centre of the park? Would that work? Would you not? I, no, I don't think so. Cause I, I don't. And, and then, and then who else alongside him? So uh, just the usual Garner and Anana in the middle of the park with the three. I just feel like I'm not suggesting I would do this. I'm just thinking, what's that? What would Dice do? Yeah, well, if, if the problem with that, you, the problem they have and have is the gap that goes between midfield and the defence. I'm not sure how that's. I'm not sure who then approaches that. Well, I mean, will we suggest Anana push for for forward or? Probably Garner. <laughs> Probably Garner, yeah. Like, I mean, maybe, but, I mean, Godfrey, we haven't seen him in centre midfield for, for some time. I've watched a lot of Godfrey in centre midfield at, uh, at a lower level and, and liked him at it. But, yeah, that would be, we saw Deitch do this a little bit with Mason Holgate, almost, you know, and Lampard did it as well. And, and it never really worked. I mean, that's, yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised surprised to see that yeah no I agree I just thought I'd throw it out there injury update then you kind of touched upon it but if you want to just so the the existing players that were already out to court absolutely no chance for Fulham yeah none of them are coming back for Fulham according to Deitch and does that include Gomez as well yeah yeah Gomez, so yeah. we are looking at some sort of you know again makeshift midfield yeah yeah I think so um it's a bit a little bit sketchy on the time frames with with Decore and um Gomez I think it's probably fair to say they're both awful, also doubtful. For, Gomez is certainly doubtful for the weekend. And to be honest, you know, Dyke said it'll be a matter of time um, in relation to, to Gomez. Well, matter of time, could me This could be any length of time, could it? It could be, could be 24 hours or could be six months. But, like, I'm not saying it's going to be six months by any stretch of imagination. But, you know, I, I think the, the same group of players, certainly for Fulham, and quite possibly for Spurs as well, so... Just not with two up top. Can't play with two up top again. Or not with the same tactics that they played with them. No, absolutely not. Okay then, uh, Joe, it's deadline day on Thursday. Yeah. Kind of touched upon it a little bit, but can you see any incomings? Can you see any outgoings? What what situation? We know the has been linked. We know yeah. Anana's been linked. It's uh, it's not looking great. Well, yeah, all the noises have been that it's going to be quiet and yeah. expects to be quiet. But I, I do think that, I think across the leagues will see a late flurry of activity because such little business has been done. You see West Ham are starting to make a few moves in the the market now and yeah, there will be knock on effects as a result of that. I'm sure that you know Evan Evan's done due diligence on a lot of players and if a late opportunity came up then then you know, I'm sure they would try to strike, but obviously they're in a situation where they're limited by finances. Like I think it would be a loan deal for anyone that did come up. Um I think probably the bigger issue is keeping hold of the players that they've got. Um, and, you know, we know there's a lot of interest in Anana and Branthwaite. 
and I think you know, covered this a lot on this on this on this podcast. You know, I think some of the clubs that are after and don't have huge amounts of money that they can spend right at this moment in time for their own kind of profit and sustainability positions. Um, but there are clubs out there with money and there are clubs out there that probably know that Onana and Brantwaite might be long-term solutions to, to problems for them. Um, and you know, players that can have long and good futures for them at a, a, a top level. And I, the, the, given the uncertainty around them and from the finances and with the takeover and things like that, if one of them had a little bit of spare cash, you you wonder what would happen if they were. This might be their last opportunity to come to Evan for a bargain. Evan's bargaining power might not be particularly strong. Um, while there's the uncertainty over the takeover and where that's going to go, so it'd be interesting to see how much resilience there is in the finances. Same goes for Decore, obviously a player at the other end of his career, but of such incredible importance, and we know that Aletafak are interested in him. Now, they might have been put off by his injuries now. I was going to say, is that a, this is a ridiculous statement. No, I, is it a blessing in disguise that he's possibly, injured? Possibly. Like, I mean, depending on how long it takes him to come back yeah. and what he's like when he comes back, but, you know, it, it certainly hasn't given him an opportunity to strengthen his case. It's gone quiet as well on it, hasn't it? has it? gone quiet on it. Um Obviously, we know that the Saudi clubs have enough money to kind of make things interesting. Um, and Everton will have to look at it from perspective of, like we said, 31-year-old who's, who's done both his hamstrings recently. But given the importance of the quarry and we, you know, his importance only grows when he's not in that side and we see how much they miss him, yeah. like, I don't think there's a price that... I don't know if it's a price that almost works for him because you're probably looking at, you know, it's a big gamble about him and you're gambling Premier League status unless Evan get some of the points back. Um, and therefore, you know, what is a reasonable price for him? There's no reasonable price, is there? Because he's, you know, he's irreplaceable at this moment in time. And Deitch, Deitch is on, publicly, Deitch is saying that he hasn't been told of any issues where he might have to sell. He believes Evan are in a stronger position this summer than they have so this January than they have been in recent windows. Obviously came in last January. They just sold Anthony Gordon, then didn't sign anybody. And then over the summer, you know, he lost to Wobi on, on deadline day. Um so he doesn't think or he's saying he hasn't been told that there's any a pressure to sell. He thinks that the the good work from previous windows or the cautious and work from previous windows has strengthened their position this time round. But I think it's easy to kind of. I think it's easier to tell him that when there are no big bids coming in for players, and it'll be interesting to see what Evan were to do if a big bid was to, or if if a reasonable bid was to materialise for 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 a key player, because the squad can't really take many more losses. But then the finances are a concern as well, whilst there's instability around the takeover. So, yeah. you know, I, I I've been doing this job for nearly two years now and um whilst my instincts are telling me to say whilst 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 I feel whilst everything who I'm asking is saying oh it's gonna be a quiet few days, my instincts are telling me I can't remember ever having a quiet few days covering Everton. And yeah, this is obviously uh another pinch point really of the next few days. And I and I do think this is a really because I say the Fulham game's important. If everyone were to yeah, the dream scenario is that Evan go to a Belitia Fulham that's just as knackered as they are and almost reset after, like you said earlier, it feels like the bubble popped when Evan lost to Fulham in the Carabao Cup or 
be a great way to kind of rebuild it again, go down there and yeah. get what would be you know, any positive result there would be really good. Um, and then that could maybe just start moving them on the, on the forward trajectory. Um, but it's a really big game. And the final days of the transfer window are really big. Because um, everyone in a situation where, you know, one outgoing or one incoming could both have such a dramatic effect on, on where the squad currently is that it doesn't take a lot of business to have a, a, a big effect, a big impact. So that's really interesting. And then obviously going into Spurs and again, you know, Spurs Evan were so so good at them. And I, I know we I know I just mentioned the bubble popping against them. They did go to Spurs yeah. the following Saturday and they were the better side and then yeah. they were I was so impressed with them in that game. Um we didn't play bad against City either, you know, second no, Boots are very good against City, you know, it's just but the thing is, what happens when you've got such a small squad and such a you know a, a, a busy schedule? The options are so limited, aren't they? So they're in a position at the minute where their options are even more limited. But fingers crossed, we you know are sitting here in a week's time and Evan have got you know four points or even two points, and they've kept hold of their better players. And Dan Juma stayed and got a game and is in, looks invested with the squad. And we're going, oh yeah, you know what? Things might not be too bad. But um, got to get there first. Well, I can feel a sneeze coming up. So one quick question before I do sneeze: <laughs> um, Jesse Lingard, free, I think still is he? Is he one that we should be looking at? Is he one that the club is looking at? I mean, they've looked at him in the past. I don't think he's a, he's not a Deitch player. No. Um, and I don't think that there's serious interest in there. I think. Yeah, there have been a few kind of murmurs from around, apparently for people around him, like I've seen reported by some of the, well, by Sky mainly, that all of a sudden it's all about playing football for him and it's nothing to do with money and thinks that he wants to get back in the game. I mean, it'd be an interesting addition. He'd be an option in that gap where Decore, you know, that kind of, he was a different type of player to Decore, but he would be another creative option. And would they push Dan Juma down the pecking order again? You know, well, why? Dan Juma down the, 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 the pecking order, but Evan, and, you know, I mean, he's not particularly high at the minute, is he? So, um, yeah, I'd be surprised if Lingard came in from a financial perspective, from a player perspective, from all sorts. Um, I would be surprised, Could we fit? but but do I think but do I think from a from a talent level Everton would be in a strong position with him? Well, well, well yeah, like he would be would yeah. be another option. But that's not necessarily me saying they should go for him. If he was that desperate to play football and he's obviously struggling to get a club, you know, he might get one before the deadline. It shuts on Thursday, but could we persuade them to get us at pay as you play? That might be more beneficial. It was certainly for Everton, and then it would show that he was committed to, yeah, you know, to playing whoever he comes before. This would be key to everything. Everton not in position to be paying anything like the wages that I think that he's had previously in the previous no. clubs. So I don't think a conversation even gets off the ground unless Everton would be, or and probably most clubs, because um, obviously we've got to bear in mind that he hasn't played football for, for six months and Everton yeah. needs someone that can come in and do a job now, yeah. ideally, not someone that's maybe going to take three or four weeks to get up to full match fitness. And when you think of Deitch and the match sharpness that he demands, then again, that, that, that that's also a problem. So... All right, well, we'll finish off, but before we do, we'll do predictions and starting lineup. We've already glossed over the starting lineup and maybe suggested what we do, but do you want to name your 11, Joe, for what you think full? Yeah, I mean, I'd go, but I'm obviously Pickford comes back in goal, defence picks itself because it's the only one that's, you know, the, I think Coleman and Young aren't expected to be back available, so Patterson starts, and then, you know, it'd be 4 5 1 for me with um, 
Harrison kind of playing in behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and Dan Juma probably playing on the left and moving McNeil over to the right, I think. He's uh, got to come in, Dan Juma, hasn't he? He's got to. I, I, I don't, as I say, I think it'll be really, really telling if he doesn't. Um, I just don't see a sensible way around yeah, around him not playing. I don't, I don't really see a sensible way of setting up given the the injuries that they have at the minute that doesn't include him in the starting lineup. And yeah, if you put him on the put him on the left and where he prefers to be of the two options, you can put McNeil on the right then, and that gives Patson a little bit of protection to get to deal with Willian, who obviously causes Evan so many problems. Or has done recently, so gives him a little. Give, you know, it has the kind of the player that's more accustomed to tracking back, just there on the right, just to kind of you know offer Pats and some protection, give Evan a little bit more stability. So, well, the Blues on YouTube, the YouTube channel, the Blues says has to be that lineup, Joe. Yeah. So obviously, a couple of people in agreement. Surely it does. I'm in agreement with you, no doubt. Even like I mean, just even if it's a case with Dan Juma of just giving him a chance and just saying like you know this is your chance to say that you should be you know have a more active role. I just it feels like I I think that Dan Juma is a situation that comes to a head before the end of this season, and obviously we've got the end of this transfer window as it is. If he stays, but then that doesn't get an opportunity to play, then yeah, you know, I just see a scenario where we get to a point where it, you know, he perhaps feels like he hasn't been shown much respect and. Yeah, you can understand why Evan going into the second half of this season, given everything that, you know, given how precarious things currently look, they need everyone there to be invested. And surely it makes sense to keep a player of the quality of Dan Juma. Now, it might be hit and miss quality, and it might be the type of quality that is secondary to what Daesh wants, but even just to have him as you know, your 12th man, so he is there for when a Decore or a Harrison or a McNeil. There are so many there are so many areas. The areas that are at their most fragile are all areas that are strengthened if he is around to either help or he can fill somewhere else so somebody else can come in for him. Like I don't want to end up in a I think it would be really disappointing to end up in a situation with the squad where it is currently to end up in a situation where say maybe in three or four weeks time Harrison or McNeil has to miss a game through suspension or through an injury or something like that or an illness and we end up in a scenario where we have James Garner playing out wide again okay. he is versatile he's done a great job everywhere he's played for Everton but he's a centre midfielder and he's shown that and you know shown that's where his talent lie recently and like I feel like if we end up playing square pegs and round holes because Dan Juma has either gone or you know or there's a fallen out then I think that that would be a problem of our own creating surely we've got to avoid that because there's plenty of people outside externally that are trying to create problems forever and, and they're, they're enough to deal with at the moment. You know, definitely another comment saying whether it's Dan Juma or Dobbin, it has to yeah. be done. I mean, I'd, I'd, I think I'd go with Dan Juma, I completely agree with you and I think Dobbin, you know, has, has come on in the past couple of, you know, months and he's been an impact player and he's done quite well. Maybe he could do that um, again, yeah. depending and on then, you know, if he started, as I say, any scenario which Dan Juma isn't starting would be quite telling. Yeah. But um, but that doesn't mean to say it would necessarily be, you know, it just can't it can't do what he did on Saturday. No prediction then. I'm gonna go one each. She <laughs> said the exact same thing. I've got that. I'm gonna say one each. Like I kind of Fulham fill me with fill me with dread because of the three games that we've. I mean, it'd be three very different emotions, isn't it? There's a free one, when which felt like a game that Evan. 
the Fulham had nothing to play for, did they? Do you remember that game, the 3-1? And it was just like, yeah. that, that was the game that Evan was supposed to win to then be like, oh, yeah, you know what? They're not going to be, yeah, they're just going to pull clean. It's not going to get right to the very depth. Yeah, yeah. And somehow they lost it. Um, was it Ben Godfrey played right back and it, when Patterson was there on the bench, they just there thinking, what is going on here? And then, then there was the first game of the season, which... That horrible sinking feeling, you know, Mope missed those chances. They should have been out of sight and they didn't. And then obviously there's the cup game, which Evan just didn't turn up in. But then there was the, oh, look, the resilience of this Evan side. They've been awful, but better has come on and they've scored. They got away back into it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then we, we, we've spoken about what's happened after it. So, like, on the one hand, they filled me with such utter dread because it's only been bad news for a year with them. On the other hand, maybe fourth time lucky maybe this is the maybe even fifth time lucky because the time before this they went to film and Crane. I remember being there on the Saturday evening game and I still there are a handful of decisions that like this and I know the, I'm sure most of the listeners and, and viewers feel the same way there there is still a handful of VAR decisions that I you know put, putting aside the 60 40s or the 55 45s you got hard done by but you know there's still a handful that I just really can't understand how they went against Everton. And one of them is the Mitrovic foul on Idrissa Gay, early stages of that game. Um, I still look back on this, you know, that was a game, that was a Lampard, under, and I'm not saying that things would have worked out under the front Lampard, but like, please don't suggest that. But Everton had just won 3 0 away, sorry, at home to Palace, hadn't they, in the October sunshine? It had been gorgeous. It was probably the high point of Lampard. And then they went to Fulham and drew nil-nil. It wasn't a bad... Although they'd just come off, it wasn't a bad point because they were in good form. Well, Evans should have been playing against 10 men. Mitrovic should have been off the pitch for over an hour of that game. Mm. Imagine having to come away from a win there and all of a sudden, last season, it probably enters a very different period, doesn't it? It like, has a very different look. Now, there might have been a degree of inevitability where things ended up with, yeah, with, with, with Lampard and his staff and... Bearing in mind the January that unfolded, you know that was obviously when a lot of that went beyond what was going on in in in, in the dressing room and the the dugout. But you know maybe it's fifth time lucky against Everton are due some luck against Fulham, and and I do think there is quality in that side, and it's demonstrated enough, particularly away from home, suggested that Everton can go down there and get a result, um, and I think it would make us all a lot happier, and it really would lift the mood if Everton could go down there and get a win. I think a draw would still be a very good result given yeah. the current circumstances. I'd take one each. Well, people think we probably compared notes with the team lineup and the predictions of one-one each, but um, we haven't. So, but I'm still going one-one. You know, like I say, I think it'll still be a positive result, even if we if it's only a point because obviously the game's coming up. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. But Joe, we said we said we'd do half an hour, forty minutes. We've done over an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I hope everyone listening on YouTube and Facebook live has enjoyed it. Um, Plenty more Everton content to come. Obviously, you're going to be down at Craven Cottage um, tomorrow. Yeah. Journey tomorrow, or are you going to that? Yeah, going down Craven Cottage, going down to London for Tuesday, and coming back on Wednesday, and then it's um, transfer deadline day. So my week currently looks like it was Craven Cottage, travelling back from London, then probably Finch Farm for where I might be a Thursday conference ahead of Spurs, and then a long night looking at the. Um, transfer latest and, and wondering what it's going to hold because remember this time last year was January and it was just watching with just sheer kind of 
bemusement when nothing happened and thinking how have ever not like god because it felt like they needed well they did need it didn't they and then obviously there was the last day the last transfer window when all of a sudden it was just like oh what Iwobi's going and Cannon's going and all right Mopu kind of understand but like you know what is going on so god knows which one what's gonna have in store for this one for us so but everything that I know You'll know as well. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I'm just glad I've got through this podcast without sneezing, to be honest. Well. <laughs> yeah, so everyone, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe, share our Everton FC Facebook page and our Royal Blue YouTube channel. Once again, we'll have plenty more Everton content, reactions to the Fulham game and plenty more deadline day content over the course of the next couple of weeks. Joe, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.